punctuates it, and he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle, and the Leafs are moved again! Hello, welcome to Nesson Bruins Podcast. I'm Nesson.com's Mike Cole, joined as always by Nesson.com's Logan Mullen. Logan, what is new? Not much. Uh, very little is new. Yep. How about you? Same. You're about uh, to be uh, vacation Mike, though. What's that? I said you're about to be vacation Mike, though, right? Again, yeah, for the second time in three weeks. Uh, yeah, I will be away off the grid. Um, and by that, I mean sitting in the same exact seat as I am right now playing video games on the Sunday night out and then sitting outside my house when the sun is out because that's our life now in this hellscape so good for you (laughs) i guess so anyway um so we're here to uh discuss uh the opening of nhl free agency trade season the direct recap the oh that's right no that's that's not what we're doing because uh this entire uh season is still going on uh but i just thought it was interesting to note that we would be in the midst of this would be like our free agency preview uh, show if it weren't for, you know. Yeah, free agency was tomorrow. Somebody asked uh, Joakim Nordstrom today on the conference call. They're like, you know, if things were normal right now, you'd be a free agent tomorrow. <laughs> like, so it is. Yeah, and actually that is something that is being hammered out, I think, as we speak uh, in terms of, what is it? Or am I getting my sports mixed up? Uh, roster bonuses and things like that. Because, like, when you get into a new season, there's just a bunch of different stuff like that. that yeah. I, again, just the idea of trying to get this thing back up and going is difficult enough, but then you have to start doing like the minutia and the, the fallout of different, you know, things with, whether it's bonuses or, uh, you know, again, trying to find a, a spot for free agency when that time comes the draft, we just saw the draft lottery part one. We're still waiting on part two of the draft lottery, which we'll get into it a little bit later, which is just absurd that that's a thing. That could not have gone worse for the NHL. Um, who could have seen that coming? Uh, but, Counterpoint, maybe they wanted it to go that yeah, way. Yeah, yes. And there are vast uh, conspiracy theories that we'll get into a little bit later. Um, but, yeah, this week we'll just uh, – you and I will kind of touch on, again, a quick update on where things stand with the return to play. Uh, it seems like the Bruins are ramping up their efforts to, to, to return, which makes sense considering it, the, the date is approaching rapidly. And uh, Bruce Cassidy spoke. So there's some, some things to get into. Uh, but we will start, as we usually do, with uh, just a quick update on where things stand. Uh, it is now June 30th. We've been talking about this for what feels like 10 weeks. Uh, but the hub cities are still undecided. And we have pushed this thing off as far as we could today. Uh, we're recording at 2.30 on a Tuesday afternoon uh, with the hopes of maybe we would have gotten some late-breaking news. Uh, Bob McKenzie, who feels like he's been reporting the same thing for at least a week, said it's possible that this thing happens today. Uh, as of 2.30, it hasn't. So, again, it'll probably happen as soon as we hit the publish button on uh, on the entire podcast. That tends um, to be our history. Yeah. So, you know, by the time you're listening to this, the NHL may or may not have hub cities. Hub cities at this point, probably not, considering we've been told I, – I feel like we, we've ended our discussion about the return to play in the same spot for the last three weeks. This thing has been pushed back at least three weeks, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's, well, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, if they had a sense of humor, they should just tell the players or just tell the teams where they're going and then not tell the fans. And then we all wake up on July 30th or whatever day they actually start. They're like, oh, hey, 
They're in Vegas and Chicago. Away we go. Um, yeah, and it's weird too because like Mackenzie said that they're still he thinks the delay is the NHL and the NHLPA trying to finalize all the phase four protocols in terms yeah. before making any announcements, but like they they have to be doing that in conjunction with the host city, right? Like, well, yeah, and so I think I they, think that's why it's taking so long. So, but I think it's that it might not even be close then either. Because that would have been leaked by now. Don't you think it would have been leaked? Probably. Probably. And that's... So, like, you have to establish the two cities and then figure out within those cities what hotels, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe, maybe I'm naive. I, yeah. I feel like, yeah, it would not be the first time, but I feel like there is a possibility that, like, each city that was in the running had to create a plan. Like, they had to create a proposal. And... Yeah, I think that those are probably relatively broad, right? Like when you're submitting an initial proposal, my guess would be it's about a mile wide and an inch deep. So as they start to whittle it down a little bit, I think that what happened is they tried to figure out which locations would be practical and narrow it down. And the conversations get increasingly serious and the proposals have to get increasingly more in depth to vet through them. Um, I get the idea that it's like, well, it probably would have been leaked now, but I, I guess it wouldn't entirely surprise me because we've also seen reports that are like, oh, it's really leaning towards Vegas. Or I was like, gonna say it's been like just trying to determine between yeah. um, Edmonton and Toronto. So it would not surprise me in the least bit if it's down to if they know the two cities that they want to do, but they're dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. Uh, so that way, because uh, I said to you this morning when we were yeah. planning for this, I think that what's going to happen is when they announce the hub cities, everything is going to follow. We're going to get dates. We're going to yeah, get yeah. old medical and health stuff uh, revealed and all that stuff. I think they just want to roll it out all at once instead of, I mean, that's what they did with the return to play plan, right? Like it all came out at once. Um, so that I think we'll sense. see. I think we'll, yeah, but, but I think we'll see something similar with the hub cities. No, that makes sense. I'm just shocked then that they've been able to keep the secret. Yeah, which that would be very anti NHL. Because if they're just finalizing stuff, that means they're finalizing it with the two cities. Like, I, so it's, that it would be, I, I mean, it's possible. Yeah, I mean, um, we're, we're in the dark, but we're also not that in the dark, right? Like, it's yeah. going to be two cities, from the reports that are out, it's going to be two cities between Chicago, Vegas, Edmonton, and Toronto. And everyone so far has pretty much been like, Vegas almost certainly is one of them. I, I also wonder, too, if Vegas and Nevada's coronavirus situation right. has maybe pushed us back a week, where now the NHL – because – you were hearing, you know, there's plenty of chatter uh, two weeks ago that Vegas was going to host the conference final or the, Vegas was going to host one of them and host the cup final. Maybe even all the conference finals, I thought I heard. Oh, yeah, they were talking about doing the conference finals in a centralized location. Yeah, so everything would have been in Vegas, basically, after. So maybe that was the plan the whole time, and now the NHL is calling the biggest audible that they've had to call amidst this entire thing. Yeah. So, I don't know. And then, it, to that point, McKenzie reported today, too, he said, anecdotally, there's been a lot of an uptick in Edmonton chatter. So, I wonder, how ironic would that be, too, by the way, if after all of this talk about whether they can get into Canada, 
it ends up being like Edmonton and Toronto ho- are the host cities. Yeah. Well, I, I have a tough time wrapping my head around them doing two Western Conference cities. So that that's what kind of perked my ears up a little bit about the Edmonton report is yeah. It's, and, well, like, and I I'm not a complete believer in the idea that like a team needs to play away from their home rink. Like I I could give a crap about if Toronto plays at Scotiabank Arena or if uh, you know uh, the Golden Knights play at T-Mobile Arena. If there are no fans there, I mean it's just a sheet of ice, right? Like how much of a home ice advantage are you going to get? That said, if they really are hell-bent on having teams play in a truly neutral site then they pretty much have one option for the western conference which would be toronto and then they would just have to hammer it out between the other teams because all four of the cities have teams that are uh in the postseason it's not like if you had you know take your pick it's not like playing it in jersey right so they're the, the the idea of Edmonton gaining steam does seem to me to kind of validate the theory that, well, maybe they are skeptical now about Vegas. I mean, that's, that's not a secluded arena. Either. Like it's not out in the middle of nowhere. It, it is in the heart of Vegas. So it's not like you can get away from it all. And like, you know, Edmonton's a little bit more quote unquote remote of a city um, and if their COVID numbers are better than like, yeah, it makes sense. But if they're not going to have a strict bubble lockdown thing going and they don't know what Nevada or Vegas in particular is going to look like literally a month from now, and it could very well be worse then th- they might be hard pressed to convince guys to go there. I don't know. What a slap in the face, a justified one, you could argue to America. <laughs> if they end up putting both these things in Canada and honestly, from a public health standpoint and a player health standpoint, yeah. it would not be the worst argument. At Go all. Ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's stick it to the U S I kind of dig it too. At this point, like I, I, I've always thought Edmonton is a good choice because it's remote enough. I think the, the, if I'm not mistaken, the facilities and the complex are really cool. They're intricate. Everything's kind of connected um I could be wrong about that but I know that, like they were and Edmonton's been hot on this entire thing since the beginning where it's like you know they were offering up golf courses where players could play golf on their off days and things like that so I think that's you know I'm not surprised Edmonton's I've always kind of thought that that makes sense and if you like again like I said if you want to go Edmonton Toronto god bless you because you want to have yeah. that Eastern Conference team and there's no American Eastern Conference team in the running here so well and Edmonton's renowned for having fantastic guys that was the other thing too, yeah. And you know, who knows what that's like in August, but you know you're gonna get the best assets and you know all of you know the the experts, the ice guy, the guru, whatever. So they'll figure that out. But if you're doing it in Edmonton, that's even you know what's another mark for for that city. So um, not a whole lot else. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh yeah, this was uh, from Mackenzie too. He said. Uh, still unclear whether July 1 signing bonuses will be paid out tomorrow uh, as scheduled or deferred to a later date. So Uncle Bob with a lot there uh, playing a golf tournament or something today. There's a, there's a wild ride reading through his tweets for, uh, to get the information for this uh, show, but um, on a more somber tone or uh, perhaps a more pessimistic tone, uh, Sportsnet 
Eric Engels had a tweet storm this afternoon or this morning as well. He said uh, last couple of days he spoke with players from around the NHL, he said, who are quite concerned about a return to play. Uh, let's see here. He said one player said a majority of the players do not want to return to play this summer, estimated 75%. Um, they, obviously, there's financial pitfalls to that decision, but they're more concerned about the, the virus uh, and maybe injury, too, if they cram in this before the 2021 season. There's you know chance guys could get hurt and uh, ramping up. Uh, <laughs> player said calls in the NHL have been, quote, a joke. That's not great. Uh, another player texted him saying, everyone's going to play. No one's going to opt out. Playoff bonus will be higher than ever. Um, that's free money if we play. Hockey is a different culture than other sports. No one is opting out. Um, and players have been frustrated about being kept in the dark, according to Eric Engels of Sportsnet. A lot to unpack there. Yeah. Uh, considering you know the start of our conversation and not having any information about the hub cities yet or not enough information, uh, the least surprising thing about all this is – or one of the least surprising things is they have no idea what's going on either. And that was the kind of the tone I got from Bruce Cassidy's media availability early this week as well. Uh, and I understand that too. And I'm not even saying this is a necessarily a criticism of the NHL at this point, but man, that is a tough spot to be in when you're asked to go play hockey in a pandemic and you still don't know how exactly you're going to pull that off. Yeah. And you know, I, I can understand a league wanting to operate under the approach that like, they don't want to say anything unless it's set in stone. And, you know, I, I do think Bill Daly and Gary Bettman are a little different in that regard. I mean, we've talked a lot about the fact that Bettman went on a zoom town hall with San Jose sharks fans or season ticket holders and said, there's going to be a season whereas like Bill Daly won't confirm anything. So I understand the player's, frustration I think they're right to be frustrated because like there's a difference between keeping the public in the dark and keeping the players in the dark right and like this is the NHL coming back by and large is not going to impact our lives all that much but like if you're a player that doesn't know if you're like what the situation is about bringing your family and stuff like that Joking Nordstrom said today he was like, I, I don't have kids, but he's like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to bring, like, he has a girlfriend. He doesn't know if he's going to bring, be able to bring her with him. Um, and so it's just like, you know, these, at a certain point, you're kind of screwing with guys' lives. So I understand the frustration in that regard. But the other thing, and it's tough to say this and not sound short-sighted, but like, my thing is, there is probably, and I might be, taking too much of a leap here, but like there's probably no safer place to be than a bubble or hub type situation that goes for the NBA that goes for the NHL. I think MLB is a little bit different because it sounds like those guys are going to lead more normal lives. Um, But like if they're committed to returning to play, you know, you're not any, I don't think you're any less safe at an NHL hub where you're getting tested pretty much every day um, and there are only certain places you can go to and they're trying to keep you away from the public as much as possible I don't think you're any less safe there than you are going to a grocery store and like we said this last week you won't catch us bagging on anybody for backing out totally your prerogative um, and I, I think the number of guys that will back out will be minimal and I think that player that texted Eric Engels and said it's just a different sport like guys are going to play if they're told hey let's come play 
the, you know, guys will go. They may not like it, but they'll go. Um, but I don't necessarily think that if you're talking purely from a health perspective, I don't necessarily think you're in a worse situation going there than if you just stay at home and we're living a, you know, a life under the new normal that we're in. And I'm not talking about like completely locking yourself down, but like going out to eat outside on occasion and going to the grocery store once a week. But I don't know. That's just me. Yeah, I agree. And I, um, yeah, it, the, I think the issue though, and this is actually a, a follow-up from Engels that he had, he said uh, just an add-on can't be discounted, discounted. Big deal for players and their families to sacrifice the entire summer. Uh, it's a factor how players feel about returning to play and then probably losing a chunk of next summer too, which is understandable. Uh, I like summer as well. There's a lot of money to be made here too. And I think that's the, you know, what they're going to have to weigh. Um, and you know, actually I saw Matthew Barnaby, former uh, NHL player, uh, replied to Engel's tweet and said he's talked to uh, some guys this week or some recently he said, uh, you know, training for two months and then you could be eliminated in a week is a bit of an issue for players as well. And that was a point I was going to make too, is like, I think going back to Engels' earlier stuff about, you know, 75% of guys not wanting to play. Well, how many of those guys think their team has an actual chance to win the cup? Right. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm putting too much stock into the lore of winning a Stanley cup where it's like, you know, if there's four teams that think they could win all 25 of those guys on each team are really excited to go back. And everybody else is kind of lukewarm about it because they don't think they can actually win. And, you know, that sport is a little different than, like, say, basketball. I could see, like, basketball teams are like a seven seed being like, what the hell are we doing this for? When, you know, we have to go play eight games or whatever it is and then go get our ass kicked in the first round. And, you know, we have to do all of that just to, you know, basically just be a doormat. Um, But, yeah, if you don't think you have a chance to win the cup or you don't think your team's that good, or you know, I could see where there'd be trepidation as well. But – Again, I mean, this is – I'm not going to sit here and tell anybody how to make that decision, but that's something you have to weigh where it's like you know, there's a lot of money to be made, especially for the NHL, given the, the TV revenue uh, yeah. in the playoffs. So, you know, that'd, that'd be pretty hard to walk away from. And I'm on record with you at least saying I think the number – this is probably a moot point. I think the number of guys who opt out, you'll be able to count on a single hand, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's zero. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, and, you know – whether that's right or wrong, that kind of depends on, you know, who you're asking, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it, it's unfortunate that I'm sure there's going to be at least one guy who plays who feels borderline coerced into doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, even if it's not, you know, even if it's just the implication of, you know, catching crap from your teammates. But I don't know. I mean, it's – my thing has always been, I've said this a couple times, I think, on this very podcast. They're all adults. They all should be presented with an abundance of information, and they should make a decision accordingly. And they shouldn't catch heat either way, regardless of their decision. Um, because I also don't think that professional athletes going to hub cities is endangering the general public. I If I felt there was a way that, like, them bringing sports back was going to potentially harm and like cause outbreaks like in these pockets. That's a different conversation. I don't think that's going to happen under the situation that they have now. 
Um, yeah, that's the big issue with like baseball. Is the, that is a, a risk to the general public, but I don't think it's here. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I get players being a little skeptical about this, but I do think too, you know, whereas baseball, I think a lot of guys are kind of arguing that like this more so hurts the guys who don't make that much versus the guys who do. I, I think that the players who are making big money right now probably have more, I want to say have more to lose in this situation, but like escrow is a huge thing. And if escrow is going to end up, if they don't play and it's going to end up being, you know, a 30% escrow or whatever, like your, your Artemi Panarins of the world, as we saw, probably aren't going to like it. You know, we've heard Brad Marchand, um, but rightfully, I think, gripe about the escrow before. Uh, and if that number starts surging because they can't play out this season, that's going to be a problem. So I think that you might see some of the bigger name guys, instead of being a little bit more like, you know, passive about it, they might say, no, I don't want to get 35% or 30% or even 2025 whacked off of each paycheck for the rest of my career for the next few years. So I don't know. Yeah. It's well, that's there's that. And it's more of a level playing field too. So I think you're going to have more momentum or more, you know, unanimity, uniform, I don't know, uniformity among the players. Um, I was going to say unanimity, but that's unanimous as opposed or no, anonymous. It's, it's, you've lost me. I'm going on vacation tomorrow. Anyway, that's true. Uh, it's vacation, Cole. One to ten, what's the chances we're going to do this? Eight still, probably. I'm down to a five. I think that's a good <laughs> really? 50-50 chance at this point. I don't trust everybody else. That's my problem. I think the NHL, aside from the lack of apparent apparent lack of communication, I was just thinking about this, it's done a pretty good job. Like, they've been very upfront about the testing. They've done a ton of testing by the sounds of it. Uh, they've from the beginning been very good about setting forth phases as to when players could return. But look at baseball. Baseball doesn't have a plan, hasn't had a plan like that at all. And it's like, no wonder you had the outbreaks in Florida because you guys are just coming and going as they please to the facilities. Hockey has been much better at that. They've taken the steps so far. I have no reason to believe they won't take the steps in the bubble city, but I'm just starting to wonder like, at what point does this get like, we could be, I mean, we are, we're in a much worse place now than we were when we banged out the entire sports calendar, which is wild. And I know we're going to take precautions and things like that, and we're smarter about it now. But when the NHL and the NBA postpone their seasons, look at the numbers then versus numbers now. It's pretty wild to think that this is the environment in which we're going to restart. So yeah, I just don't trust everybody else to do their part to kind of <laughs> flatten the curve again. Um and put us in a position. So, like, I do wonder what, you know, if, you know, what happens. We're just one team with 16 positive tests away from being like, oh, what do we do now? So, yeah. I think that's 50-50. I think it's a coin flip at this point. We'll see. But we are getting close, so that's encouraging. Um, NHL draft lottery, let's hit, hit on that real quick. Uh, the winner of the NHL draft lottery is? We, we don't know. We don't. Yeah, it's t TBD. Which, you know, with this, we knew that this was a possibility with the, the lottery system that they put in. The winner of the lottery is going to be one of the losers of the play-in. What do we call it? What is that? The play-in round? That's, I'm calling it the play-in round. Sure. 
So a loser in that, which could be a team like the Montreal Canadiens has a chance to get the number one pick. And if they do, people are going to scream from the rooftops about uh, conspiracy because that would be quite convenient uh, considering who's sitting at the top of the draft board uh, this year. This is a mess. This is entirely predictable. I still have no idea. Well, I, I really don't have any idea how this works, but I also don't have any idea why this is what they came to. So, so did you watch the video? Uh, I didn't, no. Or the, so they had the cameras in, like, the GM's office like they do for drafts or whatever. And I was floored at how calm, like, Steve Iserman and Pierre Dorian seemed. God. Yeah. Like, that, if I were – specifically Iserman. Like, I would be absolutely bonkers in, in the worst way if I had just rolled out probably the worst team in the world, um, traded a bunch of guys, was just a disaster of a franchise that had the chance to get Alexi Lafreniere and become, like, not, not by any means like a playoff contender, but vastly accelerate the rebuild, and you just get hosed out of it. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I am – Dorian wouldn't confirm it or not. He got asked by, I think, Elliot Friedman, but they asked if he would trade his two – I forget what Ottawa guy. I think it was like three and five. Yeah. Um, if he would try and trade those for the first overall pick. I don't know if anyone's passing on Lafreniere, but if there are other guys that they like, maybe we see something like that pan out. But – yeah, I don't know if it was a live shot when they found out what they had, but like I, both Iserman and Dorian seemed relatively calm, which impressed me quite a bit. Um, but yeah, it's it's a disaster. It's I I don't know if we're gonna see a team. I don't know tank or whatever, but like I don't know. This could shake up the league in a weird way. Like if you say the Rangers get bounced in the play-in round and they end up with the first overall pick, like that team will be a wagon next year. If you've got, you know, a second year Capo Caco, you bring Alexi Lafreniere in the mix with a team that already has Artemi Panarin and Mika Zibanejad. Like there are teams that are not far off from being a legitimate contender that could get the number one overall pick. And the irony, too, is, like, the teams that could come out of this playing round and get the first pick are much better markets for him to go yeah. than anybody, you know, like Detroit or Ottawa. Yeah. Like, could you imagine? Like, Montreal is a natural fit. You know, you talked about New York. Like, putting him in that market with oh, that would be huge, too. That And that's, that's where I start to situate the tinfoil hat on my head a little bit because I'm like, Jesus, you know, if – if he ends up like with the Rangers, because it would be so NHL if like the Blue Jackets get bounced in the first round or in the playing round and like they don't get them or something like that. Like it's going to be, I, I just have this like sense that it's going to be some team that's not far off. I mean, the NHL is, I don't know how to phrase this, but like the NHL certainly benefits when the Rangers are good. Like there are certain organizations that the league benefits from when the, certain teams are good like the rangers are one of them the canadians are one of them the maple leafs are one of them all of which could be in the mix for that except for the maple leaves i think is the patrick marlowe trade but like yeah if if alexi lafreniere ends up in montreal or new york like i unfortunately wouldn't be the least bit surprised and i don't want to say that it's 
rigged necessarily, but it was a little too convenient for me to, I don't know, not be completely unsettled by it. You know who's going to get the first pick? It's going to be hilarious. Uh, Edmonton. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you imagine if you get Drysdale, McDavid, and Lafreniere on the same team? After getting every first overall pick for what felt like six straight years, yeah, then I get another God. one. Just that's that's a good one. Yeah. Awesome. And it would be and it would help them too. It would be but, well, it would help them keep McDavid. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk about the actual Bruins real quick, and then we'll get out of here. <laughs> um, Tugarask returned to practice, so that gave our conversation last week about a shelf life of a week. Um, you know, I think he said he was actually going to try to return to the ice. Was it last Wednesday or this upcoming Wednesday? So maybe he was ahead of schedule. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, too, the, the, like the interesting thing that we take for granted is, like, if guys are practicing, it means they tested negative. So that's always good. Right. Too. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's kind of a no-duh thing, but still, I mean – it's good if you're a Bruins fan that, you know, the best players on your team, whether it's Tuka Rask, Brad Marchand, uh, uh, Bergeron, Bergeron, Zidane John. Ochoa, have all yeah. been on the ice practicing. John uh, Moore. Right, yeah, of course. Uh, Parlin Holm. Uh, Yarrow Halak was there as well, so the goalie situation looks good. Bruce Cassidy did a Zoom call. They're still figuring out their roster, but they will take four goalies to training camp. Um, the goalie situation is going to be fascinating because – that's the one position, obviously, where if you get a positive test, that's going to really throw your entire plans into a blender. Yeah. Um, the Bruins, I guess, are well-suited for one of them to get sick. That would not be great, but they would probably be able to withstand it better than most teams. Um, but I guess from a Bruins standpoint, like I said, it's good to see that these guys are back on the ice. It means that they have you know, passed their test. Uh, it's also nice just to watch hockey highlights again. I was watching – I found myself just like trans, just in a in a trance watching, you know, Patrice Bergeron shoot a puck this this afternoon, and like celebrating with his teammates. And for a second, I was like, "There's nothing wrong with the world. This is <laughs> so weird." Um, so that's that's all good, I guess. It's just a sign that we're getting there, so that's encouraging uh, for now. Um, as far as Cassidy goes, not a lot to report. Just he sounded as confused as everyone else about yeah. the where things are that's not which crazy. is why that that player text to angles made 100 percent sense to me because like yeah you don't have to do a whole lot of reading between the lines to figure out where things are right now no and it didn't sound like cassidy was being coy either it didn't sound like he was trying to just like keep stuff under wraps because the league told him to it sounded like he genuinely did not know um, he also didn't even really sound that annoyed it was just kind of like this is the cost bro, of doing yeah right yeah, I mean, he seems like a pretty go-with-the-flow kind of dude in some senses. Yeah. Where it's just like kind of like, you know, he knows that he's supposed to be back July 10th. Tell him, tell him when and where, you know. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, and this is one of the things that, you know, hasn't been talked about a ton, is that he can't be there yet. Um, right. He's had to kind of rely on reports from the training staff. He said he'll lean on Bergeron, guys like Bergeron and Chara heavily, um, which got me thinking, like, you know, we talked about it last week or a few weeks ago that a team like the Bruins might be at a disadvantage here because they won't be able to, you know, older legs, maybe it takes them a little longer to ramp up again, takes them a little bit longer to find their stride, maybe a little bit more uh, susceptible to getting hurt, you know, the older players. I do wonder if there's having such a veteran-laden team is a bit of an advantage. Obviously, nobody's been through this before, so there's no playbook or no game plan for it. Um, 
but you just look at the you know the totality of careers for players like Bergeron and Char who've faced adversity both on and off the ice both you know both as a team and individually like maybe they're better suited than a lot of teams you know maybe that's where the veteran you know core comes into a play as opposed to a team like Columbus Columbus sure and maybe a team like the Bruins is more likely to keep its act together in a bubble city as well. I don't know. Maybe there are some advantages to being the veteran team that I, I was just kind of thinking about that this week. I wonder what you think of that. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd be curious to get a player perspective on that. I mean, I'm sure they would say like, there's no drawback to being an older guy. You know, if you can still play, you can still play, but yeah, I mean, I, I buy that. There has to be some sort of, I mean, you know, the Bruins are always lauded for like their culture within the dressing room and like, their preparedness and stuff like that so it's like that is the type of thing where it would play well in a situation like this where it's like you know it nobody has been through this before so nobody knows what to do but like I mean I guess the closest thing and that's still different is like the lockout year right like the 2013 lockout so you know maybe there's some lessons to be learned from guys who are around during that but at the same time like if everybody's going to be going through something completely new if there's anyone you want kind of guiding your team from an on ice perspective, it is guys like Zidane Ochoa and Patrice Bergeron. So it's like, I, I do think that there's something to be said for that. Like anything else, it's kind of hard to quantify, right? Like how, how much more susceptible are the older guys getting injured versus those who are younger? How much bigger of a role or how much bigger of an impact does uh, veteran leadership have in a situation like this? They're all things that are challenging to quantify, but I do think, there's like credence to the fact that like the Bruins are a very seasoned team and have been known for a long time to have a very good culture. I do feel like that would play well. Yeah. I think that leadership group too, from the top, whether it's even Sweeney down to obviously Cassidy or that core. um, One of the big things is, is going to be kind of imparting that message and getting them refocused on the hockey task at hand, which is easier said than done with everything going on right now. But like, we saw that this – and Chara mentioned this in his Zoom call a few weeks ago that they came into this season kind of, you know, feeling like they never stopped playing. And that they use that to their advantage where it's like, well, let's just pick up where we left off. And, like, trying to get back on that, you know, that road is going to be difficult. But yeah. it's something that they've been able to do in the past, uh, you know, where you think about the fact that they lost to – you know, they blew that – series to Philly in 2010 come back and win the Stanley Cup the next year so like or the you know the year after they got uh, uh the, in 13 they lost the you know Chicago come out and win the President's Trophy so like yeah there's a lot of different you know examples of them being able to refocus themselves I think that's going to be crucial in this situation well even this year too like a lot of people thought that they were going to come out pretty slow yeah. Um, after the way last season ended. And it was like, they started out on an absolute tear with a tough road trip to begin the season. So like, yeah, there's plenty of proof of this specific leadership group kind of getting guys, you know, in line in time to, you know, stay dialed in, I guess. And I wouldn't sleep on the, the, the factor about keeping guys heads on straight in Vegas or Edmonton or wherever. And, like, I don't know if it's going to cost – I think it's more likely that it costs the entire league a shutdown than it does, you know, like four guys. If your best four players test positive and you lose them for a week or a week or two, that's 
pretty bad in the playoffs. I think they'll they've been pretty good at kind of corralling guys off ice. At least that's what it seems like. Um, so maybe there's an advantage there as well. Uh, I don't know. Who knows what that's going to look like? Or just for the, the sake of the sport, it would be nice to have more Bergerons and Chars around the league. Um, I thought that was interesting too. This is my last point. Claude Julian mentioned that uh, on an interview on EEI this week, saying like or last week, saying like the players will police themselves and. You know, nobody does a better job of that than the Bruins. At least that's what it seems like from from an up close uh, standpoint. So, yeah. it's something to keep in mind. I thought it was a a nice little counterbalance to the uh, they're too old uh, uh, take as well. So I don't know. Keep in mind. Uh, anything else? No, I'm good. All right, let's get out of here. Let's go celebrate our independence, uh, and let's celebrate one week closer to hockey. I think maybe next week you and I will start to dig into a little training camp preview. If not next week, yeah. the week. Actual hockey to talk about. It's going to be weird. Still very weird. Still doesn't feel like it's going to happen. But It is, yeah. But uh, let's operate under the impression it is. We have no choice. That is than, yeah. so. Enjoy right. your vacation, uh, Mike. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. I'll still probably talk to you every day. I was going to say, yeah. I can't wait to get texts about work for you. That'll be fun. Um, all right, I'm Mike. That's Logan. This has been the Ness and Bruins Podcast. We'll be back again next week. See you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.